Let's turn to Psalm 46. So Psalm 46. Before we get into this, this is in a pattern of Psalms starting in Psalm 42 all the way through Psalm 49 that is showing us a, a progression. And as we come to this psalm, it's a very beloved psalm. It's very simple to see, to understand. There's no secret hidden thing in here that we're going to have to plumb to the depths of Scripture and into the deep mind of God to understand. Here it is. It's this, is that things in this world sometimes go really bad. But in that, God is with His people. That's Psalm 46. That whatever struggles we're going through... Whatever we face in this world, whether it's nature or whether it is warring nations, God is with His people. He promises to be with His people. He is an ever-present help for His people. So let us hear the Word of God. Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst, in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of God. May he bless the reading of it. We see here this psalm breaks down into three basic categories. The first five verses you see... There is a reference to nature, the earth itself, and the things that we face in nature. Then in beginning in verse 6, all the way through to verse 9, it focuses on nations. You can think that of focusing on man, mankind, and what mankind does with evil intentions to God's people. And in verses 10 through 11, what we see is really what our response is in light of who God is. So we see these two things. Nature itself comes after you. Mankind comes after you in wars. But in light of who God is, who is with his people, relax. That's the whole point of the psalm. 
And so we begin with this idea of nature. God is our, it begins in verse 1 with a statement of what God is to his people. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And the statement here is this, is God is with us in trouble. We've made this point so many times because Scripture makes this point so many times. God does not necessarily remove us from the trouble, but rather it's in trouble that we face that God is our refuge, He is our strength, that He is with us. Now you look at this word trouble, it's to be distressed, It's to be anxious over things that are surrounding you. It's to have deep need. Distress is caused by an event which brings could be bring calamity upon a person. But notice what it says God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, meaning that He is our help in the midst of that. He is our refuge. He is our strength in those things. And the word a very present, it's sometimes translated as this, He's well proved in this. And so you think of what that means in trouble. God has proven Himself to his people to be a refuge, to be a shelter, to be with his people. And God has proven this to his people over and over again. You think of Moses being chased by Pharaoh and his army, and he comes to the Red Sea, he comes to the banks of the Red Sea, and there is Pharaoh coming in behind him. And it seems like at the last minute, God rescues his people. And so often God has done this for his people. Uh, Throughout church history, throughout the uh, history of redemption that we see throughout the Old Testament, God is with his people. You think of all of the battles that David had, uh, how Saul would chase him. It looked like it was all over. Saul is coming in on him. And all of a sudden God rescues him in some unexpected way. It's well proved that in the midst of trouble, God rescues his people. Now, he is our source of strength. He himself is our shelter. We have to see this as this is what God is for his people, but we also have to recognize that we find ourselves in those difficult times. Back in Psalm 44 and verse 26, it was actually a prayer request that God would actually help. Psalm 44 verse 26 says, rise up, come to our help. Why does he have to ask? Rise, come and help us. Because they were in a situation where they needed help. They were in trouble. They were in turmoil. Let me ask you this as you reflect upon this, that God is our refuge, God is our strength, that He is well proved, He is a present help in trouble. What does this teach us about our distressing situations that we face? Well, to whom should we look? 
If God is our refuge, if God is our shelter, where is it that we look whenever we do face things? Do we not so often look for any solution but the one that takes us to our knees? We're so quick to look for help from the world, to get counsel somehow, rather than just by going to the Lord and saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. That's what the psalmist did in Psalm 44. He was banished from Jerusalem. And as he returns to Jerusalem, he says that God has proven himself. Verse 2 and 3 It describes in very uh, graphic manner destruction. Therefore, because God is our refuge, because God is our strength, because God is well proved in helping us, therefore, for this reason, this is the resolve of the psalmist, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. It's literally showing the earth falling apart in a very graphic, very poetic way. And so, Despite the unthinkable, such as the very destruction of the world we live in, despite seeing the most calamitous type of things taking place, notice what the psalmist says. We won't fear even if the mountains were to fall into the sea. By the way, the Jewish people did not like the sea. That's why when you read the book of Revelation, what do you not see? They're afraid of it. Even if you saw the most fearful thing of the earth being swallowed up by the sea, they say, we will not fear. And the basis of fearlessness is not their resolve, but rather is God himself who has proven himself. He has proven himself to his people. Let me ask you this evening, what drives away fear? We all face fears of many kinds. What drives away fear, according to this passage, is the very character of God. The God we know, the God we serve, is what dissipates fear itself is knowing God and knowing who God is. He is faithful. He has steadfast love. He is gracious. He is merciful. And because of who He is, our fear dissipates even if we were watching the complete construction of the earth, destruction of the earth. In the most extreme turmoil that could be stated in this poetic language here, we see that they would not fear. Verse 4 continues, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. That's the promise. 
That's the promise. When you see everything else falling apart, you see the city of God and God himself in the midst of it. I want to look at a few glimpses of this reality because what it is, is we, he's already said he is, a, the psalmist has said God is our refuge, God is our strength. Then it describes this city that God provides for because God is the one in the midst of it. And we know this is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is always with his church. Notice what the text says. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Think of the promises of Christ that Christ has given to his church. Christ is the fulfillment of this. Let me just give you a few glimpses of this. Very familiar passages, but will help us see this picture. In Matthew chapter 1, in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God robed in human flesh with us, in the midst of us. You look at how Matthew starts his gospel with the introduction of the coming Messiah. And it is introduced, Christ is introduced, and the gospel is introduced by God with us. But look at how Matthew concludes his letter. Jesus said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it starts off by a statement that in Christ, God is with his people. As Jesus has risen from the dead, he had been crucified, his disciples are frightened, and he gives them the mission to go out and proclaim the gospel, to make disciples. He says, I am with you. I am going to be with you. I am going to remain with you until the end of the ages. It's an amazing statement. I think of conversation that Moses has with God. And God says this to Moses, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Christ tells his disciples, he tells his church, I will be with you. And in Christ, we have been given rest. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says this, Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love the picture of the book of Revelation, which pictures the church. And what do we see in the midst of the church? Revelation 1.13, 
and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Where we're told that Christ stands with and in the midst of his church. You think of how Christ even governs his church in the area of Matthew 18 where he says, if you have to confront a brother and you have to bring them before the church, he concludes that, he says, where two or three or more are gathered in my name, there I am where? Protecting the purity of his church is what Christ does. Christ says he will grow the church. He says he will protect the church because it's his church. He promises to be with his church. And when you look at the book of Acts, what do you see? Christ reigning from heaven, pouring out his spirit upon a people that come and become part of the church. And through very difficult circumstances, you look at the travels of Paul and all that he endured. Christ continually told Paul what? To encourage him, I'm with you. Keep at it. Keep moving forward, for I am with you. Now, when you have that in mind, and we read verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 46, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. God dwells with his people by his spirit. Christ dwells with his people by his spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that we are the temple of God, that the Holy Spirit resides within us. God has promised to be with his people. And so we fear not whatever the world may throw at us. Even if it seems like the very earth itself is falling in upon us. That doesn't mean we don't face real struggles that are heartbreaking. That doesn't mean we don't face things that actually cause and drive human fear into us. It means this, though. Those things cannot destroy us. Those things cannot destroy you. Because even if the worst of the worst happens to you, guess who has you? Christ, because he has you now, and he will hold you and never let you go. But to further elucidate this truth, we're given comfort regarding mankind. Look at verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. You think of the chaotic nature of kingdoms that come and go. You think of the unique period of time we find ourselves in now, where there's the threat of war. You think of Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? It seems to be a very chaotic nature of kingdoms that are rising and falling without purpose. 
They seem so powerful and frightening. Think of the Roman Empire. It conquered the known world. In fact, at the time of Christ, there was something called Pax Romana. That was the peace of Rome. You know why Rome had peace? Because they conquered all their enemies. They weren't going to ever cease. You think of the Holy Roman Empire where Charlemagne was made as king around 800. That lasted till about the 1800s. A thousand years. We call it the Second Reich. 1934, Adolf Hitler said the Third Reich and a new millennium is here that will last a thousand years. And how much of the world was in fear of that chaotic, demonic, possessed man? Nations rage. Kingdoms totter. human history. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Where we see this. Jesus says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. You know, sometimes people place this as if it's right at the end of the world that we're going to hear of those things. Christ was talking to his disciples that you will hear of these things. Those were things that they heard in their time. And guess what? For the last 2,000 years, what have we been hearing of? And seeing and experiencing is wars. Earthly kingdoms that rise up, do incredible damage, Great turmoil, great tragedy. There's nothing romantic about war. It's horrendous. But it's been happening since the beginning. It began when Cain killed Abel. Lamech then bragged about it. Killing There's always war. There's always rumors of war. But our promise is this. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The nations may rage, but God just speaks. God just simply says something. Verse 7, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That is this, His kingdom is forever. Again, Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Why fear? We already read that the Lord is with his people. Yahweh is with his people. It doesn't matter whether the earth would cave in or whether it's nations raging against people. God is a fortress to his people. You notice what it goes on to say in verses 8 through 9. 
Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. There is coming a day that the Lord will bring an end to war as described by bringing an end to the war machine. I love the promise that we see in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 2 of this. He shall, verse 4, he shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. He's bringing an end to that. Christ in his timing will declare a ceasefire. Now, what is our response? Look at verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. This word, be still, it literally means to let your arms down. It can be used to say, relax. But let your arms down Because you're not in a defensive position or an offensive position. You let your arms down unguarded despite whatever is going on. That's the statement. How many of us go into battle and then we put our arms down? But he says here, be still. You are not in the, you are not the battle the Lord will actually do the battle for you. And we see why there's two promises here that he'll be exalted among the nations, he'll be exalted in the earth. Now we know that that will reach a culmination one day where every tongue confess and every knee will bow. But we have to ask, when does that happen, that Christ would be exalted among the nations, that Christ will be exalted in the earth? Let me show you where, when that happens. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. From Pentecost on, the name of Christ has been spreading through the world. And Christ is being exalted by the nations. Not every people group has heard the message of Christ. So we must be busy. This will continue until his return. And through that, just like Paul, through that we face the world, but not in our own power. Yeah, there's suffering. But what we're promised here is that you're not alone. Our our name might be diminished. Our name might be spit upon as they're going after Christ, but Christ will be exalted. Christ our champion. 
Christ is accomplishing his mission that he will be exalted among the nations. He is accomplishing that in and through his church. That is the people of God. The ongoing mission that started at Pentecost, we join in continuity with those first proclaimers of the gospel. And to close the psalm, verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And we're once again reminded of this truth in one final statement of God's presence with his people. And just to ask the question, to be repetitive, this is our promise fulfilled in Christ. And I just want you to notice the corporate application of this throughout the psalm. It's never me, it's never I. It's our and it's us. This is speaking of a people. God is with His people. God is with His church and is preserving His church. Now, as I was going through this psalm, maybe you heard hints of this, and maybe you've put this together already. But Psalm 46 is the basis of Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. If you have your hymns of grace, would you turn to Psalm or to hymn 53? I believe this has been translated into over 200 languages. While they don't know the exact date, it was probably between 1527 to 1528 that this was pinned. It's one of the most beloved songs that have ever been pinned. In fact, September 14th, 2001... In the Washington National Cathedral, this song was sung because it provided comfort for Americans after they had been attacked. I want you to notice this as I read it, a couple of things. Luther supposedly wrote this in the darkest years of his life. Many believe he wrote this from the Wartburg Castle when he was translating the Bible into German for the German people, where he was under height and hiding. There was a standing order you could execute Luther. He went by the pseudonym of uh, Junker George, and he was in hiding. And so you can imagine if he was in the Wartburg Castle, he would look out and see the mighty castle itself and think of the protection he had from that. But what helped him through that time? They say he was not only uh, facing persecution, but that he was facing temptation. Wittenberg, where he was residing, was experiencing a plague. By the way, plagues actually would kill mass portions of the population at one time. But I think the thing about this that we have to see is this, is what we read in Psalm 46 
was about the earth falling away and about nations raging against us. I want us to, for a second, look through this through the theological eyes of Luther himself. Because you're going to notice this in the psalm, is that it deals primarily not with the things of this world, but things of the unseen world. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we read this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Luther experienced the attack of Satan probably like few people have in church history. He one time was said to have thrown his inkwell at the wall to chase Satan away. He felt the very presence of Satan attacking him constantly. There are very few people that have had as much influence in the world as him, outside of Scripture. He literally changed the world and made the modern world that we live in today. But in his darkest time, what brought him comfort was Psalm 46. And from Psalm 46, meditating in it, he wrote these words. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. Notice what he's drawing on here. He's speaking of that spiritual darkness, that ancient foe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Luther understood that Satan was a real being, is a real being. I don't think we believe that in our culture anymore. He goes on in verse 2, Did we in our own strength confide? our striving would be losing. In other words, if we tried this on our own against this foe, against the principalities and darkness of this world, he says, we would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. That Christ will conquer the foe. Verse 3, And though this world with devils filled, again, we don't talk like that. We don't use that type of language. I think Luther was right to use this language. He understood it in a very personal way. He said, the the devils in this world that are filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. Who is us? The church. Christ has willed, His word will triumph through His people. 
The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. An amazing promise that Satan himself rages against the church, but we need not fear. What is that word that should fail him? Verse 4, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Christ is on the side of his people. I love what he says here, and you can almost think of that phrase, be still, let your hands down. He says, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, they may kill your body. But here's the truth, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. What a wonderful reminder that God is with His people. He has not deserted His people. And as we look at the turmoil and what seems uncertain in our world right now, you see crashing stock markets, you see 401ks disappearing You see movement with China. You see movement with Russia. You see all of these things. God has not abandoned you, and he will not. His kingdom is forever. We may let go of kindred and goods, this mortal life also, but his word abideth forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with your church.